What is up, my dudes? Welcome back to Olympia Oddities. I hope everyone's year is off to a good start. I'm a little bummed out because usually at this time of year, I'm going to Squatch Fest and I get a report back here with all the wonderful and ridiculous things that I learned and witnessed. I don't think that it will be happening this year, so that's a bit of a bummer, but I'll have plenty of cryptid episodes in store anyways. It's been a bit since I've covered some true crime on here, so today I'm going to be telling you about an unsolved murder that's local to my area. Let's get into the mystery of who killed Karen Bodine. Dave Bodine and his wife, Sharon Bodine, were driving down Little Rock Road on the morning of January 22, 2007. They were headed to an appointment, and Sharon had told Dave that she would come along with him as long as they took what they called the old way, over getting on the freeway. Sharon didn't like the freeway, so they settled on going the old way. They spotted some helicopters circling in the sky and saw some flashing lights of police cars on the road up ahead of them. Police were slowly letting traffic through so they could get past the old gravel quarry that sits on the corner of Little Rock and Sargent Roads. Dave, who was a former firefighter and fire commissioner, remarked to his wife that the scene didn't look good. Later that day, detectives would come to their door and notify them of their daughter's death. Her body had been discovered earlier that morning in the gravel lot of the old quarry. Karen was just 37 years old when she was killed. She was a mother to three children who all agreed that she was a loving and involved parent. Her oldest daughter was a senior in high school, and her youngest child was just in the sixth grade at the time of her murder. The kids and Karen had all originally lived with Sharon and Dave, Karen's parents and the kids' grandparents, at their house, by what Sharon later described as a mutual agreement. Karen eventually moved out of the house, and the kids continued to live with their grandparents. Still, Karen remained very involved in her children's lives. She showed up to the events the kids had going on and stopped by the house frequently to visit, never without a present for them. She eventually got a job working in the lunchroom of her kids' school and would sneak a few extra chicken nuggets and say hi when she could. Her middle child, Taylor, told the Olympian that everything Karen did focused around being closer to her kids and with them as much as possible. Taylor also described her mom as her fashion and makeup icon growing up, and a lot of people who knew Karen had similar things to say about her. People described her as having impeccable fashion sense, and that she was the kind of person who lit up a room just by walking in. They also said that she would do anything for her kids. She was passionate, fiery, creative, and would often come up with unique ways to show her loved ones how much she cared. She'd often leave little notes for them inside their books and notebooks. Karen Bodine did have a history of arrests, but was never convicted of a felony. She had been both the petitioner and subject of domestic violence protection orders. While under the supervision of Washington State Department of Corrections, she tested positive for meth and marijuana. In the Olympian article I mentioned earlier, her daughter Carly explained the situation by saying, She did have drug and alcohol problems, but that was on and off throughout her life, and for the most part, it was more off than on, but people focused on the on. Investigators haven't released many details of the case. This is so if someone calls in saying that they have information and they can provide details that weren't covered in the media, then their information being truthful is more likely. What we do know is that Karen Bodine was seen on the 21st, the day before her murder, by a Lacey police officer. After her body was discovered, an emergency dispatcher recognized the description as someone who had been asked to have a police officer check up on them. Details about this police visit were kind of vague, but it doesn't seem like Karen was in any sort of trouble. It seems like it was more of a welfare check on her. She was also seen later that night by multiple witnesses and spent the night hanging out with a group of people into the early hours of January 22nd. 
Five hours later, her body was discovered at the old quarry pit by a driver. She was naked and placed about 25 feet off the road. She'd been posed on her back, and her head was placed on the seat of an abandoned car seat that had been dumped there. Her body had suspicious markings on it, but I couldn't find any information on what these markings were or where they were located on her body. A ligature had been left around her neck, leaving investigators to wonder why they took everything else from her body, but left this one thing behind. A search of the area turned up no clothing, purse, or wallet. There were no indications of sexual assault. Investigators believe that whoever is responsible for this wanted shock value, and that's why they decided to pose her body right there on one of the most visible spots along the road. A woman who lived in the area had spotted an 80s model brown Datsun with a camper shell that was lighter than the body. The car was spotted in the area at about 7.50 that morning, about an hour before Karen's body was found. The car was gone by the time another driver spotted Karen's body. Initial reports claimed that Karen was transient, but she'd actually been evicted from her residence by the sheriff's office because of, of a protection order that had been filed against her. This took place on the Friday prior to the Monday when her body was found. Detectives now know that the crowd she'd been hanging out with the night before was a rough crowd, and a lot of them were involved in drugs. Detective Hamilton, the current detective assigned to the case, told the Olympian that almost all of them have been arrested since then for drug activity of some sort. In 2014, the case was brought back to the public's attention. Sources had come forward with some new information, but it wasn't enough to lead to an arrest. Recently, Karen Bodine's case was part of a crime con event called CrowdSolve. During CrowdSolve events, true crime superfans get the chance to look over case file from cases that have gone cold with the help and supervision of experts. Nancy Moyer's case had been the first pick, but events came up that changed everything. Nancy Moyer is a woman who went missing from Tenino, Washington, and a podcast called Hide and Seek does an amazing job of investigating her story. While the first season was airing, a man named Eric Roberts confessed to killing Nancy. Not enough evidence was found to convict him, and after appearing in court a few times, he was released. Since they could no longer talk about the events of Nancy's case, Detective Hamilton brought up Karen Bodine's case as an alternative. Karen Bodine's family agreed to it, and even participated, and two out of three days of the event were dedicated to her case. Detectives believe that whoever killed Karen Bodine most likely knew her, and suspect that multiple people may be involved, saying, I think when you have a case that has as little evidence as this one does, and has gone on as long as it has, more than one person was probably involved. New tests are being run on the evidence, and interviews are being redone, but as of today, who killed Karen Bodine is unknown. Thank you for listening to another episode of Olympia Oddities. If you want to support the podcast, leave me a positive review, tell a friend, or follow the social media for the podcast at Olympia Oddities Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. And until next time, friends.